Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowe, and Pastor Adam Osier continue their discussion on the Oxford Confession, looking at Article 21. Being Lutheran is sponsored by Fly Beyond, the AFLC Youth Ministries event for equipping teens for their vocational callings in the local congregation, not just for tomorrow, but also for today. This year's camp, Upwards, runs from July 17th through the 21st. Register at aflc.org backslash youth. Welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. My name is Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osher. All right, welcome back uh, to a new arc of episodes as we jump into uh, Article 21 of the Augsburg Confession. Yeah, Article 21 represents the end of the primary section of the Augsburg Confession. The uh, first 21 articles of the Augsburg Confession are the kind of the articles that where we confess our theology... And then uh, the, the last seven, uh, Articles 22 through 28, are disputed articles where, where there's debate and there are more articles of practice. And so this is a, the, the Article 21 is a really interesting topic to round out that confession with the worship of the saints. But really, everything we've been talking about up to this point leads to this as the end, where we reject the worship of the saints. We reject the, uh, the you know the, the college of merit or whatever you would call it in the Roman Catholic Church, because of what we've confessed about justification and because of what we've confessed about the office of the ministry and the efficacy of the sacraments and everything like that. Really, when you look at it, Article Twenty One is just the natural outcome of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, good. Uh, well, I think we'll we'll start uh, by reading a good chunk of the article, and uh, we'll go from there. So I'll go ahead and do that for us. Uh, so Augsburg Confession, Article 21, The Cult of the Saints, and I'll just read a good chunk of it here for us. Uh, it goes like this. It is also taught among us that saints should be kept in remembrance so that our faith may be strengthened when we see that grace, what grace they received, and how they were sustained by faith. Moreover, their good works are to be an example for us, each of us in his own calling. So his imperial majesty may in salutary and godly fashion imitate the example of David in making war on the Turk, for both the incumbents of a royal office, which demands the defense and protection of their subjects. However, it cannot be proved from the scriptures that we are to invoke saints or to seek help from them. For there is one mediator between God and men, uh, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5, who is the only Savior. Savior, the only high priest, advocate, and intercessor before God, Romans 8.34. He alone has promised to hear our prayers. Moreover, according to the scriptures, the highest form of divine service is sincere, sincerely to seek and call upon this same Jesus Christ in every time of need. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. First uh, John 2.1. I'll stop there. Uh, we can uh, use that as a, a launching off point to discuss this article. Um, I guess let's, let's start with this, guys. Um, why would uh, these early Lutherans uh, be inclined to include this as one of the articles in the Augsburg Confession. I think, I mean, just looking at it initially here, it 
talks about a, uh, an issue that was taking place during the time of the Reformation. I mean, that was a big aspect of the Roman Catholic Church and the treasury of merit and all that was going on. There was this picture of, I would not go to Jesus, but I would go to, in, in Luther's case, St. Anne, right? When he was uh, affected by the thunderstorm that ultimately led him to want to go to the uh, go into ministry or into the the monastery or into you know away from law and into theology, and uh, you, you saw that. And I think the impotence of that, <laughs> it, it maybe in, that Luther saw, was uh, maybe reflected in in the theology that way. Theologically speaking, I uh, wonder if there isn't two directions we can look at this. The one direction, the baseline direction for Lutherans, is anything that takes away from the completed work of Christ on the cross is to be rejected. And, and it's that, that part that the Apostle Paul talks about is, is gain versus loss. Yeah, gain versus loss, and, and, or what he talks about, if, if we or an angel from heaven yeah. delivers to you a gospel other than what, what was delivered to you, let him be anathema. And, and you know, a lot of the argument of the Lutherans on this topic, along with other topics, is, you know, if this is true, what need of Christ do we have? kind of a thing. And I think that's flowing in one direction. I think in the other direction, especially Melanchthon, but Luther also in his ministry really wanted to make sure that the Lutheran church, which it was just the evangelical church uh, of the 1500s, the the church of the gospel, uh, they never wanted to be seen as the split from the historical church. They wanted the Roman Catholics to be seen as the split. And so making sure that we're not, you know, this is kind of one of those, we don't reject it because it's too Catholic. Mm-hmm. We, we reject it because it's bad theology. And so Luther, or, or Melanchthon, excuse me, on this article says, look, we're not abandoning church history. You know, Augustine, Irenaeus, all of those saints have a particular purpose in the church life, but it's not to be worshipped and it's not to be called upon in prayer. Yeah, go good. I go think ahead. I think ultimately what's happening here is it's interesting how they start in this are in this article here the, about the positive side. It's not the negative. We reject. It's the positive. You know, the cult of the saints, you know, people teach the saints are to be remembered so that we may strengthen our faith when we see how they experience grace. The whole point is to that to look back at the saints to point them to Jesus and his effect, right? Rather than the effect that the, the saints might have in, in another way. It's not to take away from the, the image and the picture of Jesus. It's to, it's to point them to it. That's when the saints are to be, that's how the saints are to be invoked or to be, be viewed as the ones who point us to Jesus. Yeah, in Melanchthon's estimation, I think if we're going to keep our theology consistent with that of the catechism, you know, which is the what Luther introduces as the foundation and the bare minimum one needs to know to be a Christian is kind of how he introduces the theology of the catechism. The, the saints occupy the, the confession of the third article of the creed, the communion of the saints, right? And so in that, we have the benefit of being part of the church universal uh, and the mutual edification of the brethren. You're, you're looking at passages like Hebrews 10.25 uh, and, you know, Hebrews 11 flowing into that is where you get the benefit of looking back on church history and, and seeing that you're not on an island, that you're not doing it on your own. And, and uh, Adam, I think it's really crucial that you highlighted the, the primary uh, purpose of Lutheran theology is to confess something positive, mm-hmm. not to primarily reject. Now, we can and we do reject teaching, but it's always based on what we do believe and mm-hmm. not we don't start with, well, we don't believe this. 
and then you just hope that whatever's left is enough for a confession. It's like, okay, we don't want to go down the road of worshiping or calling on the saints in prayer, but that is because the particular purpose of the saints in church history is to follow an example of faithfulness or of piety or of good works or something to that effect, that there is a a positive role for really church history to play in the role of the church of the here and now, whatever time that might be. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting too. I, 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 when you were reading, I thought that was funny where it talks about the example, right? He said, we, we mm-hmm. are to look back to our saints as examples of the faith and how that's executed in different, in different arenas of, of vocation. And the one he chooses is David yeah, and right. going to war. And he compares it to the, uh, his Imperial majesty, you know, and going to war against the Turk. It's interesting how he picks that. Cause he could have picked a number of other things, right? He could have picked Abraham's faith or he could have picked these things, but it's a very, uh, looking back at the example of the saints, he points it back to vocation. He points it back to very practical ways, not some mystical, this particular saint is really good for soccer games. And so I'm going to pray, you know, to that <laughs> saint for my saint son. Pele. Yeah. <laughs> saint Pele. Yeah. Um, um, th- yeah. The whole picture here is a very practical illustration of Christians, uh, or believers, you know, they wouldn't have called David a Christian per se, but he did look forward to the Christ, right? But this whole picture of looking back to their vocations, how did they live out the Christian life? And that's what we are, are yeah. to see. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you guys are both saying, it, you, there's there's a lot of bad theology in the Catholic position at this time. And, and uh, when you take... Uh, when you take a, a thing, a statement of bad theology, it doesn't always mean that it's completely hogwash. It, you can kind of un, unpack it and pull apart all the pieces and throw away the the bad the bad theology that's mixed together with maybe something that's good or something that uh, is scriptural uh, in in the sense of how we are to live out our vocations. And uh, you know, thinking of that uh, from a positive point of view, going back to the apology on this, uh, they summarize, uh, he says, three ways to honor saints, thanksgiving, strength in the faith, and imitation. And I, I like that kind of three-point um, how to think about the saints that have gone before us. Uh, the, the, those are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ throughout church history. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And, and a lot of people would be surprised that historically speaking, uh, Lutherans maintain some sort of festival days for a lot of the saints, especially the biblical saints, but not exclusively the biblical saints. So if you look on a on a more expanded liturgical calendar, uh, there is a day uh, that we commemorate Timothy, and you know there's day we we commemorate Mary and we commemorate. Uh, various biblical <laughs> figures and even historical figures. And in, in on the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, there are days when uh, particular Lutherans are com- commemorated. Chemnitz is commemorated. Gerhard is con- commemorated. Uh, William Leia, uh, church planter from Germany, who, who kind of made the last push to get the Missouri Synod started in America. And, and so that's not something that's out of bounds, but those saint days on the liturgical calendar aren't done from the perspective of worshiping these, but being grateful for the example. Yeah. And and really, like you said, Adam, looking at their vocation and what they did, in looking and thinking about the saints, uh, the faithful departed, 
uh, we basically have a living, breathing table of duties where you have in the table of duties in the catechism, you have all of the Bible verses, but in the saints, you have the people who lived it out. And, and, you know, we just did a few episodes, a study of what happened with David and Beersheba. Or Bathsheba, not Beersheba. <laughs> Beersheba place is a town. Yeah. yeah. Uh, There's a lot of Shebas going on in the Old Testament. David and Bathsheba. And in Melanchthon here highlights the emperor should look to David as an example when he goes to war. The emperor should definitely not look to David as an example when David does not go to war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, good. that's true. Good. It's a very good way to look back at the... It's funny, still call him a saint. Yep. Right? Yeah. Still look at the saints and, and what they do when they failed. And it's interesting because that's exactly it. David did not go to his father Abraham and say, plead with the Lord on my behalf. He said, against you, you only have I sinned. Mm-hmm. He, was, he, he went through Nathan the prophet who called him out on his sin, but, but he went to the Lord to confess it. It's interesting. Even, even in sin, even in bad examples, we have the testimony of the saints from, from before and I think if we rewind all the way to the beginning and, and do a base definition of a saint, you know, and, and this will be consistent with passages like Hebrews 11 as well, but it's not someone who displayed a particular level yeah. or quantity of piety. It's a person who had faith. Right. And, and that allows us to bring up that, that Latin phrase uh, from the Reformation, simul justus et peccator, which means simultaneously righteous and sinful. And there's no doubt every one of the saints in the Bible was a sinner. And, and more often than not, uh, we, we get very specific instances when they were, you know, acting like idiots, very sinfully. You know, uh, you had Noah getting drunk after the flood and the whole uh, incident with Ham. Ham, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shem, Ham. Yeah. Shem, Ham. So you have Abraham, who not once... But twice pretended his wife was his sister so that he didn't get in trouble because his wife was pretty. Uh, After he had believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Exactly. And and Moses, you you, you have his impatience and his anger flares up. Uh, I mean, you just go, uh, Aaron literally carved a golden calf idol (laughs) and then then goes, oh yeah, we just threw the gold into this fire. Look what came out. What were we going to do? You know, all of those things. David has his warts in scripture. Uh, Every one of the judges, you know, Jephthah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, this reminds me of, uh, I I was talking to uh, a relatively new Christian in our church years ago that grew up a Catholic and they were just really wrestling with this whole idea of the saints. And it was so fun to just lay out that biblical definition of a saint as being a holy one and the holiness of, of Christ that is given to us and, uh, and the, the, the righteousness of Christ that, that we have. Uh, and it, it just, I just remember seeing her just eyes widen with the realization that I'm a saint in, in yep. Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think in, in that, too, we can remember that we have not just ancient saints to look to, but more recent saints. I, I like the picture. Now, this is an ancient saint, but it wasn't to, to Timothy. When Paul says, I remember the faith of your mother and of your grandmother, right? And, and, and he says, then um, 
I, I trust that this also lives in you as well. What he's pointing back to is this picture of Timothy probably being raised in the faith, most likely by the females in his life. Most likely started with his grandma, even as she taught him the faith. And he could look back to her example of the faith. Not that she saved him, not that she happened to be incidental maybe in his hearing of the gospel, but but he could look back to her example. And I think we can do the same, can't we? Those loved ones who have gone uh, before us, who are you know with the Lord now, we can say, Hey, thanks. That was a great example. I remember when they lived that way, when they did that, how they executed their Christian vocation in such a way that that is to be emulated, that is to be appreciated, that is to be modeled. And that's a great example, both biblically, of what is true today. During biblical times, during the New Testament age, Lois and Eunice were not particularly famous Christians. They were just Timothy's mom and grandma, and they were the ones who handed the faith to him. And the same is true today, that those saints in our lives, we can, you know, give a testimony, so to speak, of what those people meant to us. I mean, each one of us, I mean, in my family, I look to my grandma and grandpa, who were missionaries in Madagascar, who raised my dad in the faith as anchors in my life. But I also have you know, several pastors who are formative uh, in my life growing up. Uh, and those pastors, uh, none of them were famous. They're just, you know, hmm. faithful parish pastors, and none of them were perfect. You know, they, they all had their faults too. But, you know, both of you guys know, and, and I've mentioned it several times on the podcast, I'm not a huge fan of the various euphemisms we use for death. You know, I, oh, yeah, I don't passed like away. passed away. Yeah. And, and I will still use that, by the way. I know you do. Inadvertently. You belligerent <laughs> jerk. I will yeah. do it to make you hey, mad. Now, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but one of the euphemisms we can absolutely embrace is, is calling uh, one of the saints who has died in the faith the sainted. Hmm. So you speak of someone who's died in the faith, and we can say the sainted, in, in my case, I would say the sainted Pastor Milo Goodham, who was my grandpa. Mm-hmm. And he's sainted. Yeah, you get to November 1st, you know, All Saints Day, and no. maybe that's a, an appropriate way to mark that day is to remember the, the saints that have gone before that have uh, lived the faith, lived it out. Well, and it, and historically in the Lutheran Church, not every congregation does this, yeah. and uh, we don't do it to this extent, but a, a lot of congregations will find that on All Saints Sunday, uh, that you will have a time during the service to just read the names of the departed uh, in the faith from the previous year. Hmm. And, and in a smaller congregation, that's going to be a much shorter list than in some of the larger congregations, but it's a really good time to remember. And uh, it's a good time for us to remember that we still grieve the, the loss of a close family member. We still grieve death, but death is not the end. We celebrate the sainthood yeah. of those who are now gathered around God the in his triumphant. throne room. The church yeah. triumphant, exactly. This is where the Lutherans want to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. We, 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 just, we don't want the starting point to be us just butting our heads against Roman Catholic weirdness in worshiping the saints. Uh, it's w- <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned the weirdness. I, for some reason, in the Twin Cities here, I've been driving by and seeing a lot of Catholic billboards that 
just smack of just kind of weird, yeah. creepy. I don't know what. The, well, like, and, and, I don't know. There's something about them. Sorry that, to any of our Catholic yeah. listeners here. We know you aren't weird or creepy, right? Uh, but, but I think <laughs> probably. You know, yeah. <laughs> I guess as we you know start to wrap up this episode here, you know, in in summary, we they were responding at that time of, of calling on the saints, and yep. and I think that's for the the normal Lutheran layperson. That's probably their entrance to this type of thought is that, yeah, we don't pray to the saints. We, we go directly to Jesus, uh, who is our mediator. Jesus is sufficient. And in, in if he isn't, like if we need a booster from, you know, any of the very saints of the occupations or, you know, the, the original argument in the Reformation times was, of course, we pray to, to Mary because who is going to convince someone more than their mother? And, and what you do is, by default, you're presenting Jesus as an unwilling savior, which is entirely false. We would reject that entirely. There's no need to pray to Mary when Jesus, our high priest, has given us access to the throne room of God. And the command in scripture is, since we have a faithful high priest uh, who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin, let us then approach the throne room of God so we can find grace and obtain mercy in time of need. So if you want to pray by the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you have access to God himself. Yes. There, there, there's no need to pray to St. Christopher if you want safe travels or to St. Francis if you want a good garden. Or I, I think St. Francis is the garden one because there's all of those statues of St. Francis that you can buy at Menards. <laughs> I'm, I'm just ba- rolling with that. Isn't that the with birds? The, I was going to say with the birds was on it? his yeah. shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Of, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. of the gentle doves and birds that he would call to himself. Yeah, the so wildlife, I think, maybe the wildlife not. wildlife patron saint of bird feeders and birds. Yes. I'm, I'm trying not to. <laughs> yeah. Uncharitable, but when you think about it, right. it, it 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 gets weird quick, right? And it's because you're taking the emphasis off of Christ as the Redeemer. Yeah. And the other thing too, there's kind of a modern day version of this in non-Catholic churches. I've I've come across this a few times where people will assume that in my vocation as a pastor that I have a direct, more direct line yeah. to God, and they're like throwing a good line for me, pastor. And once again, it's always fun in those instances, instances to say. You can talk to God directly too, and and they're like, oh, okay. And I, I don't know if they quite get it, but uh, just trying to emphasize that uh, you don't need to go through a pastor, you don't need to go through any of the other saints, uh, dear Christian friend. Uh, Jesus's ear is is bent to you, and, and that really highlights the gospel, does it not? That that we can use this disagreement and this error in church history to highlight that our Jesus, that your Jesus is sufficient for all you need, not only for salvation, but for the continued maintenance and sustenance of your Christian life. That when you find yourself uh, anxious about something or in need or in a tough position, that you are called and invited and even commanded by scripture to turn to the God of the universe in prayer because he has revealed himself to be the God who's there. Amen. Amen. That's maybe a good place to end this episode. Any other closing thoughts? No. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. 
Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 21 of the Augsburg Confession. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you.